Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Plains on the Prairie podcast. I am Max. And I'm Sam. And today we are on episode three already, crazy enough, of our North Dakota Aces. Um, Today we are talking about Oscar Cohen, uh, who served with the Eagle Squadron uh, during er, early years of the Second World War before moving on to the Fourth Fighter Group. Yeah, so uh, thanks for tuning in. If you haven't seen our um, Scrappy Bloomer Francis Register episodes, they're also available on Spotify or anywhere where you get your podcasts. Um, They don't need to be watched before this or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but we definitely recommend you give them a listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, if if this is your first podcast of uh, our North Dakota Aces series, what we do is we talk about the pilot. Um, what they did, what unit, um, some of the kills that they scored that we know of, at least. Um, and then we talk a little bit about the squadron that they were assigned to, or in Oscar's case, the squadrons. Yes. And then last, we talk about any surviving warbirds, static displays, um, any aircraft around today or at some point that bore the markings of at least one of their aircraft or similar. Some, yeah. Yeah, and we sometimes get off on those tangents and stuff. Yeah. But um, you know, there's something something good in those in those yeah, tangents. Absolutely. So, you know, we're just two guys that enjoyed talking about warbirds. So without further ado, Sam, if you're ready, I'm ready. And yeah, let's dive right started. into it. So uh, as I mentioned before, um today's topic or uh, point of discussion uh, is Oscar Hoffman Cohen. And he was born in Wallam, North Dakota on May eleventh, nineteen seventeen. So before this episode, I truly had no idea where Wallam was. No. I had to Google it. Um, I actually looked at it via Google Maps, and it looks like there is just a grain elevator and maybe... Yep. It's not far from Hannaford, but you probably don't know where Hannaford is. Either. I do not, so- but I did notice it's about 20 minutes south of Cooperstown. Yes. And I know Cooperstown very well. Yep. I assume anyone, Sam especially. Yep. Um, a lot of rich Cold War history in Cooperstown. Oh, yeah. So... Um, interesting though, Oscar really didn't spend a lot of time in North Dakota. He no. was born in Wallam, but uh, grew up in Wisconsin on a dairy farm and must have, you know, just spent his youth there because it said that he attended uh, UW Madison and graduated with a science degree and afterwards became a science teacher. So I believe he was a science school teacher at, at that. Um, in Illinois, uh, but got bored of it and then eventually um, found a career in the Army Air Force when he enlisted in May of 1940. Um, During those years or months of training, he discovered that he was going to actually become a navigator. So he resigned from his commission in the Army Air Force and actually went up north to Canada, where after training, he was posted to 71 or number 71 squadron, um, if I remember correctly, at Church Fenton or RAF Church Fenton in the United Kingdom. Um, so a lot of you World War II history buffs will know that uh, RAF Church Fenton was the home of number 71 Eagle Squadron. Mm-hmm. And Eagle Squadron, Sam, as you know, we were talking beforehand, was, uh, you know, all the American volunteer pilots. Right. And there's three of them. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just a good group. So yeah. what I know number 71 was the first of the three. Do you know off the top of your head? I don't remember oh, the I'm exact squadron. <laughs> um, no, that's you got me there. Um, <laughs> might as well get the answer for you. Um, so there was three. Yep. As I said here. Um, 
So number 71 was the first Eagle Squadron. Yep. So most importantly, um, later on, we had 121 Squadron, which was formed in 1941. And then number 133 Squadron was also formed later in 1941. But we'll get into the history of yeah, uh, number 71 Squadron. That was um, in September 1940. Gotcha. So, Sorry to put you on the spot yeah, there. Yep, but... you're good. No, I should know that. So. <laughs> so, yeah. So number, as we mentioned, number 71 Squadron was uh, made up of Americans that had joined the fight against Germany prior to the United States entry uh, following Pearl Harbor. And it seemed most of their raids were against um, German targets in occupied France. Yes. Um, Did they fly any combat missions during the Battle of Britain or would they have been formed after that? They were formed in September 1940. So that's kind of at the tail end last month. Because little bit of the battle. I know a certain movie about a certain attack on a. Pearl Harbor base yes, yeah. um, has one of the main characters being a member of the Eagle Squadron before Pearl Harbor, which which is 1940. Out. It Warren, checks out, so yeah, yeah. But like at the tail end, you know, I guess it, it would possible. be possible. It's definitely it possible. possible. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I was wondering when the Pearl Harbor reference would come into it. Yeah, so. well, it's, <laughs> here it is. Uh, but you know, throughout most of the the conflict, uh, number seventy. Early years of the conflict, um, number 71 squadron started out flying um, Brewster Buffaloes, which uh, Oscar Cohen actually didn't fly. He arrived too late. Um, He would have arrived just in time to fly uh, Hawker Hurricanes. um, And then I believe actually had, I could only find information of him actually only having time in Spitfires, Mark um twos and then five B's. Yes. Um, And I believe if I remember correctly, um, well, you, Sam, you did more research on what, what happened on October 20th, 1941. So on October 20th, 1941, he was on what's called a rhubarb, basically just a probing attack into, into France. Um, this was near Lille. Um, so they, it was, uh, they're targeting a train inbound to Saint-Omer. Um, that name comes up a little bit with, with Cohen himself, um, so they're uh, attacking a train. There's a there's a book I I actually have owned for many years called The Eagle Squadrons, and it references his um, little uh, brush up here with the enemy. But um, basically, he uh, was attacking the cars, and then um, basically his Oscar got hit, his engine got hit, and um, you know glycol coolant was spewing out of the airplane. And Oscar said he was hit. He went down, he got out, parachute came out. So the plane went down, got shot down, got hit by probably one of the anti-aircraft batteries on the train. Yeah. And um ended up uh getting picked up by uh the French resistance or the Maquis. Um and so mind you, Lille is northern France, basically on the border with Belgium. Yeah. So so northeast France. He escaped all the way through uh, southern France into Spain and eventually Gibraltar. to Gibraltar, southern Spain. Spain was neutral, but they were Axis aligned. They were kind of correctly. flirting with the Axis yeah. in 1941. Because, in, mind you, 1941, a couple months earlier, Germany really was on the up and up because they had Barbarossa already. Mm-hmm. They were at their height. They well, had, let's also not to yeah. interrupt, but not forget german pilots the condor legion 
were in, in Spain, Spain Civil yes, War. they had their legacy there. Yeah, all so, German aircraft were primarily used. Tested, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yeah, and all the Spanish getting off topic even more um, were uh, they were licensed built by Casa uh, in Hispano as well. Um, so a lot of the Battle of Britain movie 109s are Spanish, yeah. <laughs> and the Casa. The Casa built uh, 111s. There's still one around, There's I believe. At least one at the Air Force Museum in Dayton yes. in yep. storage. Yeah. So, anyways, he made it to Gibraltar. And then there's a little quote in here. Um, By prearrangement, his buddy, Mike McFarlane, was to inherit Cohen's flying boots that he left behind, or just boots in general, I should say. The first thing Cohen said when he made it back, two months, only two months from the time of shot down, so it was around uh, just a little after Christmas was uh his quote was matt get those damn boots off <laughs> so this is the first thing he said after everybody thought he was gone everybody you know mourning your friend yeah and inheriting his stuff and give it all back. of a sudden he just wants his <laughs> boots back so it was kind of funny I, I did through reading through the little bits i just looked in the index of this book i haven't had a chance to read it um well it sounds like it, a super who yeah. what's who's the author of it um the author is uh Vern Hogland. um so it's an, it's an older book. I believe it was published in the 80s or nine, early 90s. That cover looks 80s it, to me. It is definitely <laughs> old. Um, 92. Oh, so. I was wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, no, he the, the little excerpts that come in here just kind of make him seem like a character. They're yeah. starting like a fake fight just to kind of prank people. And so, I don't know. <laughs> he just sounded like kind of a jokester. Gotcha. But yeah. So... Um, the Eagle Squadrons, obviously, after the United States entered the Second World War following the attack at Pearl Harbor, um, all the Eagle Squadrons were eventually transferred over to the United States Army Air Force on September 29th, 1942. Um, the 71st Squadron actually became the 334th, which I couldn't actually find information. Did Cohen serve with the 334th? Or did he go to the 335th or 336th? He's- Started with the 336 is what I read. Yeah. And then he went to the 334th okay. and actually commanded the squadron. Really? Yes. Oh, very That's cool. what I found. Very cool. Um, we should mention that on June or in June of 1943, I don't think they have the exact date listed. Um, he was flying a P-47C, a C model. Really early. Yeah. yeah, super early. I didn't know that any of those actually made it to the front line. Um, but his engine in his aircraft exploded over fortunately over England and he was forced to bail out. And during the bailout process, um, I saw that he dished his canopy and was went to pull the parachute strap with his right arm and pulled it. And the force of the, you know, parachute coming out fractured and dislocated his right shoulder. Mm-hmm. Now, Sam, I don't know about you, but I've dislocated. Actually, I did dislocate my right shoulder. I wouldn't wish that pain no. on my worst enemy that hurt. And imagine being in a parachute, falling from I don't know how many thousand feet, awful. I can't mm-hmm. and hitting the ground too after that, ugh, just terrible. Um, but he was, you know, injured quite yeah. frankly, and was out of the action for about two months, um, and eventually returned back to service. And uh, I believe I, I was looking at um, my my source was the uh, the Army Air Force in Europe. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's the name of the website, but it's a phenomenal website that has a ton of information. Um, but they said that he had to do like special stretches and like the maintenance guys had to make sure that he could actually rate because he couldn't raise his right, right arm over his head. 
So they had to do like special moves in the cockpit to make sure that he actually could, in fact, you know, if he had to bail out again, yeah, he could do he it. Do but it, yeah. fortunately, he made a full recovery and um, returned to his unit. So um, of all, he had, if I remember correctly, he had six confirmed kills. Yes, at least one, maybe two damaged, and then I believe three problems. Yeah, it was a. As you said before this, it was really spotty on figuring out exactly when. Yep. So where he got unfortunately, killed. unlike um, I believe some of our previous aces where we have, you know, document documented mm-hmm. dates um of shootdowns and kills and stuff like that, Cohen's are kind of sparsely in between. Yes. Um and what oh go ahead. A lot of the early war records actually were kind of this way. You can find this with um with a lot of the British and uh, American records in the Pacific really early in the war. Everything was just chaotic. A kill didn't matter compared to uh, retreating and such and yeah. whatnot. So the Battle of Britain was raging quite a bit. You still had German fighter blitzes or German bomber blitzes, excuse me, over over um, England in 1941. So there's it probably was a little chaotic. Yeah, my guess to why you the claims probably are didn't have a whole lot yeah. of time to be saying, "Oh, I got that one. That one I might right. have damaged." The it. war was not by any means won. Yeah, the tide no, wasn't no, even not at, at all. Point, so, um, I should mention that at least during my research, the first kill, not probable, not damaged, the first confirmed kill he had was on October 16th, 1941. Um, actually, I believe it was near. Uh, Calais or Calais, mm. uh, which would eventually become more famous during the Second World yes. War for um, General Patton's al- possible invasion there. <laughs> um, but he shot down an HS-126, which I actually had to Google because I had, you know, kind of heard of it before. Yeah. But it was kind of like I, I would what almost that? yeah dare I say it was almost like a German version of the Lysander. Right. Like it was parasol wing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Two crew Mm -hmm. used for at least, I know they used them during the Mussolini uh, raid to get him out of the hotel that he was being held hostage in. Yep. And they risk reconnaissance. They were in Elbert. Exactly. For the Germans. But yep, that was his first kill. So, I mean, kind of an easy one, but But weird. Still kill. Yeah. Still weird. Yeah. You don't really hear much about that. Um, but at least from the other research I was able to find, he did at least damage or possibly shoot down a BF 109E, which would have been common at the time, mm-hmm. um, a Focke Wolf 190, and then a JU 88. Yes. Personal yep. favorite aircraft with the Luftwaffe, <laughs> um, mentioning it for another episode of North Dakota Aces. But that's just me. Um, so yeah, after um, the. I, I did it, oh, also find, I don't know if you found the source, but he downed three 190s in one day. Really? Um, in uh, March 27th, 1942. That's where he got three of the kills. That I really? And I, I did cross-reference that with a few other sources and found found it to be somewhat... I mean, if there, more so... than, I'd say, one or two sources say it's true, then it's got to yeah, be Yeah, and then I got an additional one for shooting down a 190 after they transferred to the to, um, fourth fighter group. I think... I think his last kill came when he was the commanding officer of the 356 fighter group, or I shouldn't say you, excuse me, let me rephrase that. He was not the commander of it. He was the air executive. Executive. Yep. Yep. And he scored his last victory. The date on the signage at the museum was very strange. Um, Probably a typo, but yeah, that was his last kill. Yes. FW 190 on that day or BF 109, excuse me. Um, So after the war, uh, 
if unless do we want to talk a little bit about some of the American? Yeah, let's because we briefly mentioned earlier, um, Cohen after the Eagle Squadrons were disbanded um, in British service, they were actually transferred to the Army Air Force, and those number seventy one and the other two squadrons that we mentioned became the three thirty fourth. 335th and 336th fighter inner squadrons making up the now very famous fourth fighter group. Um, and the fourth fighter group was actually the first United States army air force unit in the Euro- European theater of operations, yes. just because, you know, the guys were already, already there. Makes it, easy. So. <laughs> makes it super easy. So I know he served with um, the 356 fighter group uh, through the end of the war Um like we said, got his last uh, kill against a Luftwaffe BF-109. Um, I saw he was in the Pacific yes. when the war ended. I couldn't find any there information. There was no record further on that. Yeah. yeah. So Probably maybe, got there at the tail. Yep, exactly. Uh, interestingly, unlike, um, well, our first uh, North Dakota Aces, um, Cohen made a career out of the Army Air Force yes. and eventually the Air Force and retired as a colonel in 1962 um, as the commander of the 507th Fighter Interceptor Wing at, excuse my pronunciation, Kenochli. I know I said that wrong. Kenchelo. Kenchelo. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Kenchelo Air Force Base in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Now, for the longtime viewers uh, of Planes on the Prairie, <laughs> you may remember that there is a certain T-33 on display in, it's not Finley, but it's the town just nearby. Do you remember that? Hatton. The T-33 in Hatton is in the markings of the 507th Fighter mm-hmm. Interceptor Wing, and it was retired in 19, I believe, 1965. Probably saw it. So there's a good chance. Not only did he see it, could have flown. there is a very good chance that he actually could have flown that T-33, because at the time, the 507th, now we're getting into my bread and butter. Yes, we are. Now, the five <laughs> at that point, the 507th was flying F-102s. They hadn't quite moved to F-106s, I believe, at that time. Um, but usually when a unit got a T-33, it was that unit's T-33. Right. Like, it, it was Stay. delivered right to that unit, and they flew it literally until the wheels or the wings or whatever fell off. Mm. Uh, so there's a good, very good chance that Cohen could have flown that T-33. Or, yep. like you said, at least saw it on the flight line. So he retired in 1962 um, from the active duty Air Force and... I couldn't find much about his post-military no, life. Wasn't much up until he passed. Yeah, in 2004. And I was gonna say he lived quite a long time after retirement. Yeah. Yep. 2004, I believe he passed away at the Boise, Idaho Veterans um, Care Facility okay. or Veterans. And he's in his upper 80s. Yeah. So. so another, you know, legendary North Dakota ace that had a very incredible career. For sure. Yeah, something something different too, especially with that Eagle Squad. Yep, I, I believe he was the only North Dakota. Pilot. I believe so. I At mean, least for sure, Ace. Yes, we haven't been able to find it's not any... the only Spit pilot. That is correct. That's <laughs> a teaser for another episode. Yes. <laughs> um, but I haven't been able to find any more information about any North Dakotan-born Eagle Squadron pilot. No, I haven't either. So. Uh, we will keep you updated if we do. Yes. But that kind of wraps up the life and career of Oscar Cohen. Um, I know we have been talking a lot about the number 71 squadron. I feel like you guys probably already got the gist of them. <laughs> uh, but we'll just give you a quick rundown of the aircraft that they flew, or at least some early history. Uh, Sam, did you have any information on their early history? It's pretty brief, but yes. Uh, 
they were formed at Church Fenton mm-hmm. in uh, September 1940, and they were initially equipped with buffaloes, like you said. Um, so the buffalo, uh, not really known for its European service, other than if you count Finland, uh, they're not the best high altitude interceptor. For those of you who know a little bit about uh, the Battle of Britain or anything European theater of operations, a lot of the fighting, a lot of the intercepting was done at high altitudes, 20, 30,000 feet. A buffalo doesn't do that. So they had buffaloes for only about two months. This was before Cohen's time. And uh, they ended up all getting relegated to like Singapore and Malaya, just in out in the Pacific, far flung stuff that was at the time not anticipated to be an issue. So they're relegated to <laughs> quote unquote, less important sections of the empire. So yeah, they, they had those for a little bit and then they were replaced by hurricanes. Um, not for very long, a little less than a year. They had a hurricane Mark ones. Uh, and then they were later replaced by the Mark two Spitfire. So the Mark two Spitfire, a little bit of an upgrade on the Mark one, a that was made famous by the battle of Britain, not to mention, or not to, rule out the hurricane being famous yeah. there, but um, don't want to get James May uh, <laughs> upset in case he ever listens. And then they were re-equipped with um, Mark V Bs soon after that. So they weren't really with the Mark IIs very long. So most likely Cohen flew the Mark V Bs. So what, I guess, what was like one of the big differences between the Mark II and the Mark V B? Uh, the Mark V B had a clipped wing. So it, had, oh, really? it didn't have oh. a full elliptical. A um, little faster, different armaments. Um, they started after the Mark V really getting into getting away from the 303 caliber machine gun, which pretty weak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, later versions like the Mark IX had 20 mils, you had 40 mils later on. I was going to so say, just, they upgraded, you know, upgraded, you're going upgraded. against planes like the FW 190 and a JU 88. They have, you know, pretty, they're big, beefy planes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, little <laughs> machine gun really isn't going to do much against that. Right. And they, I didn't find a good kill record on it. I don't know if you did. I did but, not. But um, yeah, there isn't much after that really. Just uh, basically they transferred out to uh, the fourth fighter group once yep. uh, they kind of repatriated. Yeah. And I know now we'll, if you want, let's dive right in. Yeah. yeah. So the, the 334th um, was what the number 71 squadron became and they flew if I saw early on, they still flew Spitfires until they received P-47Cs. Yes. And then from there, D-model Thunderbolts. And then according to the signage at the Air Museum, he was flying a P-51D. Yes. Now, I don't... That was, an, that was after 44. That was. So yes, that would have been... His per, ace plane, really. That would have been the 356. Um, would that have been... Um, the, yeah, it's well, the had, group itself was equipped with Spitfires until 43, April 43, oh, wow. that late. Um, so then they did get 47s of different variations. Gotcha. Like you said, the D model, anything early, a Razorback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I found February 44, they were re-equipped with the Mustangs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, the fourth fighter group was made up of the 334, 335th, and 336 fighter squadrons. Um, interestingly, the fourth fighter group still exists today mm-hmm. at Shaw Air Force Base in South North Carolina. Excuse me, not... South North Carolina, just North Carolina. <laughs> and they are one of the two units um, that fly. Well, I should maybe not, maybe two or three. I don't know if the RAF Lake and Heath units are still active or not. 
Um, but they fly the F-15 Strike Eagle. Mm. So the Eagle design, for people that don't know, that's the F-15 Eagle variant that is designed for air-to-ground operations. So imagine if an A-10 and an F-15 had a child <laughs> and you get the F-15E Strike Eagle out of the deal. Um, but as we mentioned, uh, the 356 fighter group, eventually uh, Cohen became the air executive officer and scored his last kill with that. Um, the 356, um, they were the ones that they had that blue red nose yeah. on their Mustang. It, it's a pretty really color nice. combo. Yeah. I know. Uh, next time you're at for our listeners, next time you're at the Fargo Air Museum, I know it's roped off, but go into the back bathrooms. And in the men's back bathroom, we have a picture of some 356 fighter group uh, Mustangs escorting some Liberators. So pretty cool. Um, I did find some information on the 356. They are also still around today. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head the exact um, wing number, but they are now allocated to the Tennessee Air National Guard okay. where they fly MQ-9 Reapers nice. and have been since, uh, I believe, 2012. So pretty cool to pretty see cool, that, you yeah. know, some of the units, especially, you know, this gentleman's, uh, Oscar Cohen's units are still around. Right. Today. And based off their accolades in World War II, they were the first, the the fourth fighter group in general. And they flew in the group formation or amount quite yeah. a bit on those escort missions. They were the first um, combat group or fighter group to uh, escort bombers over German airspace. That's, that's quite and the, the first accolade. escort over Berlin itself. Yeah. And they also were another first. Um, in the not so talked about uh, missions here, we have uh, they're the first to um, provide escort for the shuttle bombing, the shuttle runs, you know, into Russia, where they would fly deep into Nazi occupied territory and land in, in really? Soviet territory. I did not and know that. Fuel and that rest and all that. About yeah. All. No, it's not very talked about. So that might very be a that's that's a story for another day. Absolutely, I but I like that. I yes. like that. I yeah, guess. and then I guess some notable mentions for other pilots. Yeah, um, we have uh, Dominic Salvatore Gentile. You've probably heard that mm -hmm. name. Twenty-one plus kill guy. Then we have John Godfrey, sixteen plus. But he he wrote a book I read called The Look of Eagles. Is a um, interesting book. Um, talks mostly about his combat. But it starts not to spoil it too much, but it starts and finishes with him. He had a battle with ALS. And it's really interesting. So he started getting ALS and he decided to write this book. I highly recommend the book. Um, I think you actually have it. Um, I donated it. it. Was going? It was in the box I donated. Oh, yeah. I think I, I told you to get snag that one. Really good story. It's one of those small bantam books, but yeah, classic. But, yeah, I was looking at your Cactus Air Force one before we started. Yeah, well, what else would be in my, my eye? What else would be in my library? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, really, really cool history behind the fourth. Um, if you're at the museum, yes, you can see a specific. So that kind of leads us into our next uh, marking scheme. Obviously, um, the fourth fighter group still exists today, as well as the three thirty fourth, thirty fifth, and thirty sixth fighter squadrons. Um, they all exist mm. bearing, you know, not obviously not the same markings, yep. but you know, in an updated form, but yes, if you come to the Fargo air museum, our own home turf, uh, our resident P 51 D Mustang actually wears the markings of a three thirty. I found it exactly three thirty six. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that had the blue, like anti glare, yep. um, you know, top of the nose, the red markings, um, 
it wasn't necessarily unheard of, but it was kind of uncommon for them to have the red, white, and blue tails. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's, it did happen. Um, but most of the time, I think the 336 only had red. red yeah. yeah. So uh, very cool. You know, a piece of living history and the fact that there's actually, you know, a connection to it. And we know it's Boomer. Yeah. If we have to cover it. Yeah, we have to cover it at some point. But um, Boomer isn't, as far as I'm aware, an original nickname for a, a squadron or a aircraft of the 336. I know V because their squadron code was VF mm-hmm. and H had a dip. It actually, it was a named aircraft because that's what the air yeah. boomer is, is VFH. Um, H had a different name. It was an actual plane, but I don't know off the top of my head. Right. But the fact that it's here in North Dakota with, you know, a, a local connection is very cool. It is really, really cool. Absolutely. Um, but other than that, I, I know there's a couple you know what is more interesting you maybe not more interesting but you find more sabers f-86 sabers wearing fourth fighter group because they were very prevalent during the korean yes which unfortunately i couldn't find any information about cohen flying any combat missions during korea no i couldn't either so i don't know if he participated it if he was a career guy it's very possible yep that Maybe, hey, who knows? Maybe there'll be a part two to this episode. That very well be. But uh, other than that, I think that kind of wraps up the the life and times of Oscar Cohen. Yeah, just another really interesting dive. It's a lot of fun to research. Absolutely. I mean, that's half the fun is researching. So. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's it, for me growing up, you know, I, I heard the stories of the, you know, Eagle Squadron mm-hmm. and the Americans volunteering to fight in the war beforehand. I feel they're often more overshadowed by flying tigers. Mm-hmm. They're just the flying tiger story is very popular. But, yes. You know, Americans wanted to fight before America even got into the fight. And that I think that speaks a lot of volumes to the tenacity of the American, you know, fighting spirit. Mm-hmm. Like we we had the drive to do the right thing. Right. We need and to. a lot of people kind of thought the war was inevitable. And I think some of these pilots were definitely pre-planning a little yeah. bit, just trying to Make sure they're ready. And I really get some experience. That. You see that in many different places other than the Eagle Squadron. You see it on the ground. Um, one little tidbit, really off topic, I found. Um, a lot of people volunteered for Finland during the Winter War. Really? Just another little thing. A lot of people. You from know, the United States. Yes. And they weren't yep, in the medical corps and stuff like that. They weren't British. really. No, they were come. They were non-combatants, a lot of them, but a lot of them were just trying to help. And it just kind of shows a lot, not so much about the people and American people themselves. We're, we're always kind of been like that, but that generation was always a roll up your sleeves and yeah. kind of do what's right. Students. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, other than that, that will kind of wrap up our series on Oscar Cohen. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I think we have a couple more things to discuss before we tune out. Sam, I know you just got back from a very long and very exciting road trip. Yeah. Canada. Well, yeah. It was a lot of fun. We went to the girlfriend and I went to, Banff and Jasper. Um, on the way up, we went to Calgary. Um, we uh, visited the Armed Forces Museum of Alberta. So a really cool museum featuring Army, Navy, and Air Force um, displays. And most, we only had about an hour there because the, by the time we got, we were driving for eight hours that day. We were tired and uh, left really early. So <laughs> we were only, we only made it there about an hour before they closed. Um so we went and walked around. I did some pre-research on some of the planes. Um, it could definitely be deep, do a deep dive on this if we want to do an episode, but I 
saw a bunch of aircraft, including uh, a Banshee, which is one yeah. of my favorite Cold War well, jets. Well, let's talk about one of those planes. And I think the Banshee is the one that you've been talking about quite a bit. Correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but you like tell us. You said it was the last Banshee in Canadian Air Force service. Yeah, it was nicknamed the Last Punch. So um, this Banshee uh, was the last one, like you said, to fly for the Royal Canadian Navy. Um, it was one of only it's one of only three remaining Canadian Banshees in existence. Wow. They ordered 39 only, but. So one out of 13 is pretty good. Um, 12 of them were lost in accidents. So, so, so actually a pretty good ratio, I would say. Um, So what the Banshee, who was that? Who made that originally? uh, McDonald. They did. Yep. So they started with the FH Phantom. So that's where the Phantom one comes from. And then we have the Banshee, the F2H. Um, The F2H was a pre-Korea design, but it did serve in Korea as a ground attack aircraft. Um, There's a really good book. Um, the author escapes me, but uh, it's the book's called Hold the Line. It's about it's about um, U.S. Navy actions in Korea. Really interesting read if you want to read more about Banshees yeah. and U.S. service. Um, but it served with VF-870 um, for the most part for the Canadians. And um, when it was disbanded, um, so what the crew did while they were waiting was, let's see what we can get out of the airplane. So what they did was they stripped uh, this aircraft, which is serial number one two six three three four. So they call it three three four. I'll I'll put pictures up on planes of the, on the prairie okay. a little bit more, but um, but basically they wanted to see what it could perform, like stripped of weapons, radar, arrestor gear, everything. Every so, yeah, all the stuff that it wasn't going to need anymore. Yeah, so to achieve a speed of Mach point nine seven, so almost the speed of sound, and. Uh, it uh i couldn't get the actual time from the banshee book that i have but it uh reached fifty thousand feet in an unheard of amount of time it just climbed like crazy for a banshee yeah wow and it was last flown by a pilot named bob ferguson and ended up at um basically it ended up at uh, the museum here when it was formed and uh yeah it's really cool they also have a couple a lot of cold war stuff they have some plans for expansion i saw they're kind of hinting at a canuck and a voodoo there oh what a voodoo. <laughs> and uh they also added a ct-133 recently nice. so a lot of cold war stuff there's a sea fire there a mark 15c only uh two mark 15c fires exist that was really cool but yeah, it was a fun time um wish i could have spent longer definitely will in the future cool so. So yeah, awesome. well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, we have a few more of these uh, Aces series. We're having a lot of fun, um, you know, producing them and Absolutely. researching, and you know, just talking. Yeah, let's see, there's nine. There's nine. So we have, so we yeah, we're a third we the way through. Six more of them. Um, you know, as always, guys, we appreciate you turning in, tuning in. Um, we really hope that if you enjoy them, please share them with your friends, your family, anyone that you may know that you know, enjoys World War II history, North Dakota history, you name it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, thanks for tuning in. I'm Max. And I'm Sam. And we're signing off. So take it easy, guys. Yep. Thank you.